Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Thank you, Sam. So it's great to be here. It's really lovely to be part of this church and I'm sharing the message this morning um, and hopefully there's something in it which encourages you. Um, that's the whole idea. So Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So today as we wrap up our challenge on getting into shape, I want to look at how being part of a vibrant church community is part of staying in shape. Uh, Not physically, although it probably should help with that too, but rather how meeting together helps us to keep up in our following after Jesus and learning how to love and to live like he does. And secondly, I want to look at how meeting together actually fits into God's bigger plan for his creation. So I'm going to pray and we'll keep going. God, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Lord, that you want to speak to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you um, that you use different parts of your body to um, minister to each other. And this morning, I ask, Lord, that you would sift my words. The good bits would stay in people's hearts. The other bits would just disappear. And that you would speak personally and all together corporately to us this morning as well. We want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we don't want to just um, be interested. We don't want to just be um, uh, entertained, Lord. We want your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and change us. Amen. So a bit of of context. So the New Testament of the Bible is made up of letters uh, that circulated around the early church 2,000 years ago. Now, the first four of these uh, books in the New Testament are the Gospels, which were the written accounts of of the life and ministry of Jesus when he was here on earth. And then after that, we've got a bunch of other letters, which are sometimes called epistles, but you can call them letters because nobody writes epistles anymore. No one writes letters anymore either. Um, maybe it's a collection of very long emails as a better appropriation of what the, uh, the rest of the New Testament was. Um, And it was written by various leaders in the church, like the Apostle Paul, um, and they would write these letters to the different little churches that were sprouting up around the Mediterranean and the Middle East. And these little churches looked a little bit different to ours. They didn't have their own church buildings or land. They often met in large family homes, and they often met in secret because um, they were often um, persecuted and in some instances arrested and executed just for meeting together. So the book of Hebrews that we just read from is one of these letters. And um, it's a bit different to the other letters in the New Testament in that we don't know who wrote it. Um, All the others have an introduction or a signing off at the end, which lets you know who wrote it. But this one, it doesn't. What we do know about the book of Hebrews was that it was written to a church filled with Christians who were Jewish, otherwise known as Messianic Jews who made up most of the early church. And we know this because the book of Hebrews explains the good news of Jesus using the pictures of the Old Testament, like animal sacrifices, the priest in the tabernacle, the thick curtain that separated the holy place from the rest of the court, temple court, 
And so it was being written using language that was familiar to the people who were reading it. So if you're ever reading Hebrews, it can be helpful to do a bit of reading of the Old Testament, a bit of understanding about the Jewish uh, way of life and practices in order to appreciate the images that are used in the book of Hebrews. So this letter would have been written to an early church full of Messianic Jews who were probably hiding out in a house, afraid to meet together uh, for fear of persecution. And, um, and we can understand that. I mean, we didn't meet for large chunks of 2020 and 2021 for fear as well, for fear of a disease. So I'm going to read from verse 23 this time from the same passage. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's interesting, isn't it, that the way to keep our faith going is by meeting together. For some of you, that's really disappointing news. You look around and you think, really? I need this to keep my faith alive. And for some of us, regularly meeting with other Christians is, um, is hard because we've been hurt by other Christians. Um, let down, discouraged. I've been in church my whole life and I can certainly attest that that's been part of the experience for me. And so for many of us, sometimes it seems like it'd be easier to be a Christian if you didn't actually have to be around any of them. Then you, you won't run the risk of being hurt by them, right? And I've noticed something else too that I think a, a few of you have noticed as well. And, and I've noticed it personally for myself. And that is that I am a more perfect Christian and person in general when I don't have to be around other people. That's right. When I'm alone, I'm the most patient, loving person. <laughs> the problem with my ability to love others only occurs when I actually have to be around them. That's when things like, you know, anger and patience and whatever else become difficult. So not being around others seems at times to be the key to being a good Christian. So for these and many other reasons, we can be reluctant to keep this practice of meeting together. And, and here the writer of Hebrews, though, encourages us to meet together. In fact, he's encouraging us, or she, we don't know, to meet together, even if it means the risk of death. So let's firstly look at how our meeting together actually helps us, how it keeps us in shape. And by the way, the presupposition of that statement is that we are out of shape to begin with. Now, one of the early church um, fathers or founders, um, well, he's around 300 years after, after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, was St. Basil of Caesarea. And he is known for being one of the guys who helped pull together the Nicene Creed, which is a statement of beliefs about what the church uh, believes. And uh, that's been a great blessing to the church because we have had all sorts of denominations and squabbles over the years, but uh, the church has generally stayed true to these um, core beliefs that were articulated. They weren't derived, they were articulated um, from Scripture by the Nicene Creed. Um, now, St. Basil wrote this about meeting together about 1,700 years ago. 
He said, when we live our lives in isolation, what we have is unavailable and what we lack is unprocurable. You see, the benefits of meeting together go both ways. I benefit from living my faith with you and you benefit from living your faith with me. You have strengths, gifts, encouragement and opportunities for growth for me that I will not get in isolation. And similarly, I have strengths, gifts, encouragement and opportunities for growth in you that you will not get in isolation. We need each other to fully grow and flourish as we follow after Jesus. We're going to look at our Bible passage again for the third time. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. By the way, capital D day, just to summarize, end of the world. The word used for spur on here in the original ancient Greek that it was written in is the word paroxysmus. If anyone wants to challenge me on pronunciation, feel free. It's always difficult to do like-for-like translation with any language, particularly an ancient one, but the word paroxysmus is similar to the phrase stir up or the word provoke. Um, However, it's closer still to the word irritate. So imagine if you translated Hebrews 10.24 this way. And let us consider how we may irritate one another (laughs) on towards love and good deeds. Now many of you are thinking right away, finally, a challenge at church that I can accept. (laughs) Good news, you probably already are doing it, okay? God is not naive about us, okay? He knows that we're not perfect and we knows that we can be irritating. Uh, but by his grace, he allows our irritating behavior to provide an opportunity for us to practice love and good works with each other. But I think there's more to this irritation than just being unwittingly annoying. Our daily less than perfect lives do provide a great opportunity for others to practice loving God and loving others But I don't believe that this passage means that we're only to unwittingly spur each other on by being annoying. Um, And I don't think it means either to deliberately stir each other up for the fun of it, if any of you were going to claim that scripture for that purpose. It's not calling us to be careless and it's not calling us to be malicious in our actions towards each other. Uh, We know this through the the message of the Bible, which is consistent all the way through. And there are other verses, such as Matthew 5, 9 and Romans 12, 18, which calls us to be peacemakers and to live in peace with each other. So if we read the context of this verse in Hebrews, we are called further down in verse 25 to encourage one another. So our provoking and irritating of each other needs to be done in the spirit of encouragement. And in fact, I would say if you feel that you uh, have something to deliberately provoke someone about, to encourage, to to help them grow, you need to equally bring some sort of encouragement when you do that. Our encouragement and our spurring on, they have to go hand in hand. Now, what I think the writer of Hebrews is getting at here is that church is meant to be a safe place, but it's not meant to be a comfortable place. So church is a place to feel safe, but not to feel comfortable. Church is meant to be a place where we provoke each other to press on in our faith. Church is meant to be a place where we keep each other accountable 
to challenge each other to follow after Jesus with our actions and, when appropriate, our words, to stretch each other in what it practically looks like day to day to love God and to love others, but to always do this in a spirit and intention of encouragement. Church should be a place where we can irritate each other by sharing our doubts and sharing our hurts and sharing our pain. It should be a place where we can do so, and in doing so, we are encouraged and comforted. Church should be a place where we can ask each other tough questions. Tough questions like, um, why don't you speak to her anymore? Or why did you drink so much on the weekend? Or why aren't you paying all of your tax? It should be a place where these questions are asked with genuine love, and not to shame, but to encourage It should be a place where difficult conversations are had directly and kindly with each other, not in fear and gossip with other people. It should be a place when we ask each other how we're going, we can reply honestly. This is what I believe it looks like to irritate each other and to grow in the spirit of encouragement. It's a bit like a pearl. Now, most of you are aware that pearls come from oysters and clams. And they come from oysters as well. Um, some of you knew about the clams, but the oysters bit, you thought, oh, look, I thought that's just you normally found bits of bacon and barbecue sauce in an oyster. <laughs> or you found someone's throat complaint in a shell. <laughs> to be honest, which person, first of all, bothered to open one of those things up and then looked at it and thought, You look delicious, just as you are. Anyway, some oysters have pearls inside of them. Now, the pearls form when an irritant gets its way into the oyster. And uh, this irritant in pearl farms is deliberately planted by the farmer. That's interesting. And over the years, what happens is the oyster produces calcium carbonate, which it coats this irritation with to stop it from being so irritating. And so this builds over the years and a pearl is formed out of it. And the most valuable pearls, they take about four years to develop before they're harvested and sold. Incidentally, the world's most expensive pearl, the Giga Pearl, is valued somewhere between 90 to $300 million. Now this Giga Pearl is not for sale because this lucky guy inherited it and uh, went out and bought himself the most amazing suit. (laughs) Don't pretend you didn't look at it and think, yeah, you guys got style. (laughs) Now, he inherited it. um, It it weighs just over 27 kilograms and was formed over the course of 1,000 years in the mouth of a giant clam in the waters of the Philippines. A 1,000 years. That is a lot of irritation. Look what can be formed with a lot of irritation. Something beautiful can be formed out of a lot of irritation. We get bent out of shape so easily. Our relationship with Jesus can quickly get warped. And rather than Jesus being the Lord of our lives, we are. Again, we also have an enemy who is constantly trying to pull us away from following Jesus. And, and just like a roaring lion, our enemy, the devil, doesn't aim for the herd that moves as one great body. He tries to get one on its own, struggling out there. 
and moves in then. To get into shape, we need the community of the church to provoke and to encourage us. And the longer we stay in such a community and the longer we can sustain such a community, the more precious and beautiful that community becomes. And it starts to reflect the beauty of the God whom it follows. There's something more to meeting together too than just becoming more like Jesus, which is grace. And we could end the message there. But meeting together is also part of God's big plan for his creation. See, when God made the world, every word was momentous. Out of every word, something started. He spoke a word, stars appeared. He spoke a word, animals took breath. He spoke a word, land rose up out of the sea and separated the waters. Every word set in motion the plan that he had for creation. And that heart of that plan was this, that God would make for himself a people whom he could love and whom would love him in return. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, we read how on the sixth day God created humans and he created us as a people, not as a bunch of lone rangers or rogues, as a people. He said this, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's plan right from the start was for a group of people. A group of people that he could love and that would love him in return. And this theme echoes all through the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Over and over, we read of God's desire and his plan to have a group of people of his own. His own family. Just a little side here, um, he didn't desire this because he was lonely. God exists in a complex relationship with himself. He is three persons all in one. He is the perfect family, perfect community, perfect love. He doesn't have needs for others. God didn't create us to satisfy his loneliness. Rather, God created us out of the overflow or excess of his love to give us the opportunity to be loved and to love in return. See, only when we are all in community and relationship together do we truly reflect this plan and this story, the great story and the love of history, God's plan for his creation. Paul speaks to this when he gives the, gives the example of the church being the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. And he follows it up with his famous chapter about love straight after. The story of God's love is only fully realized when his body, his people, his family are united together in their love and pursuit of him. See, meeting together isn't just about us getting into shape or being more loving followers of Christ. When we meet together, something even more momentous is happening. When we meet together, we are recognizing and participating in God's great story for his creation. 
Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, right at the beginning of the Bible, second book of the Bible says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. Leviticus 26, 12, a little bit further on in the Bible says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Deuteronomy 29, 12 to 13, a bit further on in the Bible, says this, You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant or a promised relationship with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jeremiah 30, 22 says this, You will be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Ezekiel 11.20, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws and they will be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel 37.23, they will not defile themselves anymore with their idols, their abhorrent things and all their transgressions. I will save them from all their apostasies by which they sinned and I will cleanse them then they will be my people and I will be their God Ezekiel 37 27 my dwelling place will be with them I will be their God and they will be my people it goes on Zechariah 8 8 I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem and they will be my people and I will be their faithful and righteous God and the song keeps going into the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 God said I will dwell and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people and in Hebrews 8 chapter 10 sorry chapter 8 chapter 8 verse 10 to 12 this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another no the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more they will be my people and I will be their God all through the Bible right through history God's message comes through loud and clear. The song that he is composing in every star, in every wave, in every tree, in every iceberg that cracks into the sea, every creature that crawls towards the sunlight, every heart that grieves and longs and loves, all of it is one great symphony that sings the song of the Creator. 
his masterpiece and his great great work of art that he has been creating since the dawn of creation. And each time the refrain of that song sings that they will be my people and I will be their God. And then here at the end of history, in the final chapter of the Bible, the entire symphony comes together for one final refrain. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is the masterpiece that God is putting together. This is a song that was sung from the first moment of creation to its last. I will be their God and they will be my people. We are called to meet together, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others, but also as an invitation to be part of that refrain of the symphony of God's creation. You are called to be part of that, that we will be his people and he will be our God. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to finish. And I'd like to finish two ways. First thing that I'm going to do is just pray a blessing over the church, that we would be a church that gets the balance between irritation and encouragement right. And then I would like to pray for anyone who um, has never said to God, you know what? You can be my God and I'll be your people. And can I say that that work that Jesus did on the cross for you in dying for your sin and then rising again to show you that death wouldn't be the end of you either. That work was for you. And it's also to bring you into the big picture of history, to be his people and for him to be our God. So how about you stand up? And I'm going to speak a, a prayer blessing over you. And then I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who doesn't know Jesus and hasn't ever asked him to be their God to do so. So close your eyes and, and if you feel comfortable, put your hands out just as an act of, you know, I'm receiving this blessing. And I just want to thank you, Jesus, that you have called us to be part of your body and that you have placed us in a family. A family that we always had a part in. A family they didn't have to pull out an extra chair for. There was a place and a chair there for us the whole time. I want to speak a blessing over our church, over the church of this region, the church of this country, that we would be known as a church that spurs each other on to love and good works, that does so with encouragement, does so with love, that shares the difficulties of life openly together, that shares our fears and doubts, our mistakes, our sins, and that encourages each other to go after Jesus every single time. May our church be a church that is safe, absolutely safe, safe for any who would come, just like your arms are safe for any who would come. But our church would not be a place to be comfortable, but a place to grow and to follow after Jesus more closely every day as we live. I want to speak that blessing over this church in Jesus' name. 
Now, while everyone's eyes are closed, I also want to give an invitation for anyone who has never said to God, you can be my God and I will be your people. So if that's you today, if you've never given Jesus that position in your life and you're thinking, I actually would like that. I would like to be part of the something bigger. I would like to join in on the song that's been written all through history. I've actually known that in my heart the whole time. And as you were saying that, it was ringing true. And I would like Jesus to be my God. Then if that's you, you can just pop your hand up while everyone's eyes are closed. And I would like to pray for you. And we're going to give you a moment to do that. Thank you. I'm going to give a moment in case there's anyone else. Thank you. Now, while our eyes are closed, we're going to pray with you. And this isn't a magic thing, but we do know that when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we're with you, God, forever. That's it. And so we're going to do that with you. For those of you who put your hands up, we're going to pray along with you a prayer of just committing your life to Jesus. And then at the end of today, there'll be opportunity for you to come out the front and have some more prayer, chat to someone about what it means to follow Jesus. So while every eyes closed, how about everyone repeats after me? Dear Jesus, I want you to be my God. And I'm going to be your people. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. And then raising from the dead to show that death won't be the end of me either. Jesus, you sound amazing. And I would like you very much to be my God. Show me how to follow you. I trust you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.